Bibles today to the book of Acts. We're also going to look at the, the book of Luke, so you, you'll want to go ahead and prepare uh, there. So turn to Acts chapter 1 and then Luke uh, chapter 24. Acts chapter 1, as we uh, soon will be celebrating the wonderful holy day of Easter, we need to begin looking early on as we uh, consider the impact that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has on not just our lives, but the human race as a whole. And we've been studying in Sunday school the book of, of Luke. And uh, Luke was a physician. And we know that Luke was a, an educated man. We know that by the, the style of his writing. And he wrote two books. The, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and here, the book of Acts. And so let's begin reading here in the first chapter in the book of Acts, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's pray, please. Our Father in God, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and as we study your holy word, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will teach us today, that you will speak to us today. Speak to us, O Lord, and touch each individual heart. Open our understanding. Enable us to see the wondrous and beautiful truths that are contained in your holy word. Transform our lives. And for anyone here today that may not have accepted you as Lord and Savior, we pray today will be the day that they give their heart, their life, their eternity to you. Lord, speak to us now to the glory of thy Holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now notice, the first point is using the Bible to both understand and interpret the Bible. More than ever, it is so important for us as Christians to understand that the Bible, the 66 books contained within the Bible, are the best source for both understanding and accurately interpreting the Bible. And all too often, Christians make the mistake of, of only concentrating their studies in the New Testament. And so much is left with regard to the, the Old Testament, left unstudied. And it shouldn't be that way. We're to be whole Bible Christians. Amen? And our churches are to be whole Bible churches. We're to teach the whole Bible. And notice that in this prologue, as it's 
entitled in, in most uh, uh, translations and Bibles. The introduction here, Luke references the Gospel of Luke. He says, the former account I made. He's, he's talking about the Gospel of Luke. He wrote the Gospel of Luke first, and then he wrote the book of Acts. But remember that the author, the Bible has one author. And you'll hear this word that say, well, the author of this book, the author of that book, etc., etc. No, they're the writers. But the author is God himself. It is God's holy word. God's word. The Bible is God's word, and he is the author. Just as God is the author of life. But Luke was the writer of this account here. But he references the Gospel of Luke. And then notice that he emphasizes the life and the teachings of Jesus. He says, O Theophilus. Now Theophilus was probably some honorable person, but we have no record of, of, of him historically other than what we have here in the Scripture. And scholars go back and forth because Theophilus also can mean, or does mean in the Greek, lover of God. And some interpret it as friend of God. So it could be written to the group at the time, of believers, etc., but also to us. And of course, the Bible is God's word that he has given to all of us. And not just to us, but to the entire human race. But he writes and he emphasizes all that Jesus began both to do, that is, the events of his life, the experiences of his life, and the impact of his life, and teach. Because Jesus, as the Son of God, as God the Son, the Savior, and Creator, was also a teacher. And you know, every parent is a teacher. Amen? Actually, every human being is a teacher. We teach people. But the Lord Jesus Christ taught. And he goes on to say in his discussion that he, he came back from the dead. And some 40 days later, ascended back to heaven. He, he discusses and includes the resurrection, the ascension, and I want to make a very special point here. Commandments. Had given commandments. You notice that? And we've said many times there are, there are Christians who, who love to emphasize the grace of God, and, and as well we should. But make no mistake about it, there are commandments that we're supposed to fulfill. And those commandments are found in the Great Commission. And one of those is that we're to teach. <laughs> and we're to share, we're to baptize, we're to take the message of the Lord to the ends of the earth. Those are all commandments. And then I've, I've asked you many times over, and which one of the Ten Commandments are you going to live out, leave out? Which, which one of the Ten Commandments are you going to leave out? Yes, we live in the age of the church, in the age of grace, but that doesn't remove from us the responsibility to live according to God's Word, and His Word contains commandments. We don't keep the commandments to be saved, but rather we keep them because we are saved. We are to be 
different than the unbeliever. We're to be different. Our lives are to be different than the unbeliever's life. And so, he goes on and he talks about the commandments. And then notice that he says, these commandments were given through the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God anointed the Lord Jesus Christ and without measure, without measure. And as Christians, we're supposed to be so in tune and so filled with God the Holy Spirit, the anointing of God the Holy Spirit, that in a very real sense, we kind of splash on everybody else that we meet, amen? They're supposed to, they're supposed to experience something different about our lives. And that difference is the presence of God in our lives. And so, let's take a look at one of those infallible proofs. Because the Bible has infallible proofs. Let's turn to the 24th chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24, and beginning at verse uh, 13. Luke 24 and verse 13. I'll find it here in my own book. <laughs> now behold, two of them went traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk in and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel indeed besides all this today is the third day since these things happened yes and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, 
For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broken, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he had known or how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So there was an apparent confusion in their minds and their hearts as these two, Cleopas and, and another disciple, his companion. Confusion. And notice, there's a passage there where it says, when Jesus asked them the question, why, why they were having this particular conversation and why they were sad, notice that they said, we were hoping. What does that indicate? It indicates that they thought all had been lost. That he really wasn't the one, the promised one, the deliverer, the savior, the one who was to come, the Messiah. They were sincere in their conversation, in their, in their reasoning. They were trying to put it all together. They were trying to, to answer these, these questions that they had in their hearts, in their minds, and they were confused. Notice, they lacked thorough knowledge and a mature faith. They lacked thorough knowledge and mature faith. And Jesus challenges these disciples. He challenges them. And he says, basically, come on, guys. Don't you believe all that the prophets have written? You see, the Jewish people were looking for a deliverer because they were under Roman oppression at the time. And the Messiah in the Old Testament is described both as a conquering king and a suffering servant. But the conquering king part is the most popular. And that is what they were looking for at the time, the conquering king, who would then bring back the glory to Israel. That day is coming. That day is coming, but first he came as the suffering servant. Then Jesus goes on and he expounds the scripture to them. He reveals what the scripture teaches about him. You see, the Bible is about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bread that came from heaven, the heavenly manna that fed the Israelites in the wilderness. He's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He's the groom in the Song of Solomon who woos the bride. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
He is the promised deliverer preached about in the books written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the living redeemer. Amen? Jesus Christ. They didn't recognize him. They were confused. They were blind. And you've heard people say, I, I don't read the Bible because I, I, I read that thing and, and I become so confused. You may have said that yourself. The Bible is a library of 66 books. Not just one book, but 66. And all of the Bible is about Jesus. It is about his love for the human race and for his devotion to God the Father and his willingness to go to a cross, a cruel cross, to pay the penalty for the sin of the human race. We do not deserve God's forgiveness. Tremendous lesson this morning in Sunday school, the prodigal son. From a, from a human perspective, from a worldly perspective, from an unbeliever's perspective, the prodigal did not deserve to be forgiven and accepted back. That's what most people would tell you. But the parable really isn't about the prodigal son. It's about the compassionate, loving, forgiving father who represents God, who loves us. He loves us with that unconditional love. And he says, come, come, I love you. And I seek to bless you and to give you forgiveness and life in all of its abundance. They didn't recognize Jesus until their eyes were opened. Spiritual vision. Jesus is the bread of life. And notice it was at the breaking of the bread, right? He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And boom, their eyes were opened. The Bible is called the bread of life. Because Jesus is the living word. Notice, he's the bread of life. The living word who gives life, insight, wisdom, and power for living. Power for living. Jesus revealed the message of the scripture. And what is that message? The message is that he is the Messiah beside him. There is no other. There is no other. So what lessons do we learn from these passages? First, the Bible is not a collection of fairy tales. Now, I had you turn to Luke, but I also want you to turn to 2 Peter. And I want you to, to go ahead and, and uh, if you have a pen or so, to, to write this information down. Because it is so important for people to understand. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one and verses sixteen through twenty-one. Notice what he says. 
For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Eyewitnesses. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to, to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by God the Holy Spirit. So we said God is the author. The Bible is not a collection of fairy tales. There are people who, who actually teach that in colleges. That it's, it's just another book filled with fanciful stories to inspire faith and to make people feel good. All that, all of that, which is not correct. The Bible is God's infallible authoritative word. That is what the Bible is. It is God's word. And we need to preach it as such. Secondly, we're to be thorough and mature in our knowledge, understanding, and application of the scripture. That is, we must take personal responsibility to study the entire Bible, not just a few books and not just a few little favorite verses. We're to be knowledgeable of the entire Bible. And if you've never read the Bible completely through, I want to, to challenge you to make it your life's goal to read through the entire Bible. Every single book of the Bible. You can do that if you read three to four chapters a day. And the best way to do it, from my perspective, is to start at the beginning and work all the way through. But do more than just read it, study it and pray it as well. We're to grow, thirdly, to grow in biblical wisdom and faith. It requires devotion. We must be devoted to the Lord and it requires us to have personal devotions every day. Every single day. Spending time alone with the Lord. To have power for living, we must be connected. And we must be praying. And prayer is a two-way. It's a two-way process. Not only do we speak, but more importantly, we need to listen to God speak. You say, well, how do, how do you do that? Well, you open up the Bible and you read. And as you're reading, you pray. And you ask God, what are you saying to me through this that I read? And don't get impatient. Take time to sit 
and wait. Now, God may have you sit and wait for an hour. Is that too long to hear from God? No. Abraham waited a hundred years. Then he gave birth, or rather he fathered, I should say, and Sarah gave birth to a promised son. A hundred years. And we complain if we have to wait 30 minutes, <laughs> or an hour, or a week. Devotion. And D, we are to faithfully share the truth of Scripture with one another. We are to teach one another. To continue learning. And it's called discipleship. We are the disciples of the Lord. And we are to continue discipling one another. The, the scripture says, as metal sharpens metal. When I was a boy, my father would, would sharpen his hose and his, his tools with a file. That's what that proverb is, is referring to. As metal sharpens metal, so one person sharpens another. We teach each other. We encourage each other. We're to pray for each other. We are to, to edify one another. And then... We're to fulfill the Lord's commandments. And as we mentioned earlier, those commandments are found in His commission. We're to go. Notice what it says. We're to witness to the lost. We're to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the current philosophy of the day. As we mentioned in Sunday school, one group says, we need to believe in signs. You know, science is a great gift that God has given to the human race. But that same group, on the other hand, will say, we don't need to listen to science. You see, they'll say, climate change. Well, of course, the climate is changing. It's been changing ever since the beginning of time. And any, any knucklehead should be able to figure that one out. But when it comes to whether somebody is a, is a man or a woman, the science is very clear. Biology teaches us there are two genders, male and female. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with how one feels. It has nothing to do with how one thinks. It has to do with what the Bible teaches and what science has proven to be true, that there is a male and a female. Understand? Now you understand when I say, on one hand, they want to, they, they champion science, on the other hand, they want you to deny science. And here's the sad thing. And we mentioned this last week. There's a bill that they're voting on in Congress that will force the teachers to teach that stuff in schools. It's hellish, wicked, and wrong. And we as Christians are to stand up for the truth and preach the truth. We're to preach what God's Word teaches.